Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the River Community Church podcast. If you want more information about the church or things that are going on, you can visit therivercc.com or you can check out our app at app.therivercc.com. You know, he's just one of several people that we've been looking at as we wrap up our series today on what it looks like to be superhuman. And we hear the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and we've heard the stories of Charles Spurgeon and Lottie Moon and Corey Tin Boom, Martin Luther King, Billy Graham. And they were just ordinary people who were able to do extraordinary things because they were willing to do the will of God. And in the Old Testament, we've been looking at some of these individuals that we consider superhuman, like Moses, Joshua, Deborah, Jephthah, Samuel. And today we're going to look at another individual that we consider to be superhuman, and that's David. And again, all these people, ordinary people who are able to do extraordinary things through the will of God because they were willing. Well, good morning. Appreciate y'all being here, coming out on a cold Sunday morning. I don't know if it's Blackberry winter, raspberry winter, blueberry winter, rhubarb winter. All I know is I'm ready for cactus winter. I'm ready for it to warm up and to be warm from from here on out. And if you're watching online, thank you so much for being with us. If you're here for the first time, welcome. We hope to see you back again soon. My name is Buddy Pearson. I am the church planning resident, and I am the associate pastor here at the River Community Church. And I am so excited about being here because today starts a big week for us in our Christian faith. It's the beginning of Holy Week. Today is Palm Sunday, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But we want to go back. We want to go back to talking about what being superhuman looks like. What does it look like to be superhuman? And we're going to talk about David. And before we get into the scripture, though, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we're just so honored to be here today, so honored to be able to come and worship. Lord, we thank you for showing us how extraordinary ordinary people can be when they do the will of God. And Lord, we just pray that you'll open the ears and the hearts of everyone here. Lord, I just pray that you'll use me as a vessel, let your spirit and the word flow through and be receptive to them. Lord, we thank you, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you got your sermon guide, you'll see that I've put several scriptures on here, put a lot of scriptures on here. I really enjoy going through our daily Bible readings and checking out everything. You know, I'm just glad I don't have to preach on Deuteronomy or Judges or Leviticus, that I actually got something good like David. But if you look through here, you see there's several verses on there. Now, we won't get to all of them, but I encourage you to take this home and read through these, and you get a really good idea of what the life of David was like. And as we get into David, I'm sure a lot of you have heard a lot of different things about David. How many of you have ever heard the story of David and Goliath? Yeah, well, you're going to hear it again today, too. 
Well, David comes on the scene in 1 Samuel 16. And so Saul has been the king. He was anointed the first king of, of Israel. And he didn't do a very good job, so much so that God was pretty much done with Saul. And he said, you know, we need a new king. So he sent Samuel out to anoint a new king, and he sent him to the house of Jesse. And he went through all of his sons, and he got to the last one who was a shepherd boy. He was late coming in, and he says, that's the one right there. He's going to be the next king of Israel. So Samuel anoints him, and Saul doesn't know any of this is going on. And, but, you know, it's kind of understood that it's going to be a while before David becomes king. Well, lo and behold, there's one of those godsidences that Pastor Steve talks about. A tormenting spirit comes upon Saul so much so that he can't sleep. And his servants say, well, you know, Saul, how about listen to some music? That would probably help you out a little bit. As a matter of fact, I know a shepherd boy that plays the harp, and we'll bring him to you. And Saul said, okay, that sounds great. So they bring David to Saul. And David starts playing the harp for Saul, and it soothes Saul so much. And he, he gets to know David. And it says in the scripture that he loves David very much. And then Goliath comes into the picture. The big bully. The big nine-foot giant. The Philistine that goes out there and he just kind of antagonizes everybody in the Israelite army. He's beating his chest. He's telling everybody how great he is. And he's massive. He's a nine-foot warrior. I mean, he's the best warrior there is. But for 40 days, he goes out there and he challenges somebody, come and fight me. Anybody out there, come and fight me. Well, the Israelite army, nobody's going to go fight him. Saul doesn't go fight him. And David says, ah, I believe I'll take him on. So let's go to the scripture there. Let's go look at how all that transpires. We're going to go to 1 Samuel 17, 32 through 37, where David is willing to face the giant. Pick it up in verse 32. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club, rescue the lamb from its mouth. And if the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Now, by military standards, was David really ready to face Goliath? I mean, come on. Yeah, he'd been out there with his shepherd stick, beating off lions and, and bears. But that's a little different than facing a, a nine-foot warrior like Goliath. I mean... Can you imagine him trying to make the case to Saul, who is a man of war, a man of battle, that, yeah, I can take care of this giant? I mean, that's like saying you slept at a Holiday Inn Express last night. That's about how ready you'd be. But yet, David knew that the Lord was with him. So he wasn't afraid. And I always sit there and I think about this. David knew the Lord was with him. 
he knew the Lord that had helped him battle those lions and helped him battle those bears was going to help him with this giant. He was confident. So Saul tries to give David his armor. David's like, I don't need it. You know, Saul's got, he's the king. He's got the best armor. He's got a great sword. David's like, nah, I got my shepherd's staff. I got my sling. I'm going to take these five stones. I'm good. And off he goes to face Goliath. Well, you can imagine Goliath when he sees David. I mean, I'd say he's pretty insulted. You know, it's like, come on, man, really? This is the best you got? You're going to bring a shepherd boy out here to fight me? Well, he had a couple of choice words for David. Told him what he was going to do to his carcass. And I love David. David just went right back. Trash talked him right back. And so then, you know what happens, the, the epic battle. As we go to 1 Samuel 17, 48 through 50. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and he hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. You know, I've, I've heard the story so many times and I've read about it so many times. And Hollywood's made a big deal about it. And really, you can't hardly watch a sporting event anymore where they don't talk about, it's a David and Goliath story. I mean, how many times have we heard that reference, especially during March Madness? But here's the thing. Everybody focuses on David and Goliath. Nobody talks about the Israelite army. Nobody talks about the guys who were prepared by the military standards of that day. See, they were prepared. They'd been to battle. They had armor. They had everything they needed for war. But yet, none of them went out to face the giant. Not one. Even Saul, who was supposed to be a great warrior, had all the best armor, had everything he needed. Not even Saul went out and faced the giant. Let me tell you, church, today's society, we need more Davids. We need more Davids. We need more people willing to fight their giants. Look around in our schools. Look around in our community. You don't think there's battles out there to fight? Are you going to be the Israelite army that stands by, waiting for somebody else to do it, waiting for somebody else to face the giant? Or are you going to be a David? And you're going to step up. And you're going to know that the Lord is with you. And you're going to face that giant. Because let me tell you, we all have giants. We all have giants we face in life. And it all might be different. Now, it's not going to be a nine-foot actual giant unless you're wrestling in the WWE, but in our own personal lives, we have giants that we have to face. And it may be that you're facing a giant today. It may be that there's something that people are telling you, oh, you can't do this. You're not prepared enough. You're not ready. Because we look at David 
David wasn't ready by the military standards. He wasn't ready by the standards of that day. The Israelite army was. Saul was. But they wouldn't face the giant. And I can tell you, sometimes our giants are pretty scary. That we have every intention of facing that giant, going to battle, and winning our own personal war. You know, David, he could have got out there and he could have looked at how big Goliath was. And he said, whoa, wait a minute. Now I see what everybody's talking about. And he could have let all those people that were doubting him get in his head. You know, he could have said, uh, you know, Saul, I'm, I'm reading this pretty good book on slingshot accuracy. And uh, when I get done reading it, I think I'll be ready to go. Or he could have said, you know, there is a great conference in Jerusalem on giant slaying. They got some great speakers. When I get back, man, I'm going to be refreshed and I'm going to be ready to take on the giant. No, that's not what he did. He took what God gave him, a shepherd's staff, a sling, five stones, and the faith that God was with him. See, he was willing to do God's will. And sometimes that's the thing. We may feel like we're prepared. We may feel like we're ready. But we don't actually follow through with doing God's will. And I can tell you for me, this story resonates with me because I've been battling a giant for a couple of years now. You know, I stood on this platform December 26, 2020, which is the last time they let me preach. <laughs> I'm not salty about it. <laughs> but I stood on this platform and I said I was called to plant a church. And it's been 470 days, 15 months. And where am I at? You know, I didn't grow up in a church. I didn't have a church background. I didn't go to seminary. I've never pastored. Never even worked at a church. But to show you what kind of a sense of humor God has, he called me to the ministry in my 50s. And then he says, you're going to plant a church. I'm like, really, God? Seriously. Full-time center here. You know, no, no church background, no training, no nothing. And you want me to plant a church. And so I began the process. And I got a great mentor, Pastor Steve Taboo. And he has pushed me the whole way. But I can tell you that I hear those negative thoughts. And I listen to people say, you're crazy. You should be getting ready for retirement. Why in the world would you think about planting the church? You do know there's been a pandemic. You do know that churches are closing, that attendance is down, right? And I start listening to those things. And I start feeling like, I got to read more books. I got to go to more conferences. I got to go to more seminars. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. We were at a 
conference called Exponential. Now, this was the third time, it's a church planners conference, third time I've been there. And the Holy Spirit came upon me. And he said, you know what? It's not that you're not prepared. I said, you're not willing. It broke my heart. Because he was right. I kept thinking that I needed to be more prepared, that I needed to do more of this, more of that. I even told Pastor Steve, I've never even worked at a church. You know, how can I go out and plant a church? I've never even worked at a church. He said, well, I'll take care of that. <laughs> we'll create a church planting residency. Now what are you going to do? So I don't have that excuse anymore. So I started here in January. And what a blessing it's been. I mean, it's awesome. But you know what? I'm ready. I'm willing. I am willing to do God's will. And when you look at David, and that's our first point, is that David was willing to do God's will. And that's all God wants from us, is to do his will. And we go to the second point. And the second point is David was also willing to forgive. Now you'd think, after David kills Goliath, I mean, he's going to be this big famous person throughout all the land. You know, if it was me, oh yeah, I'd be telling everybody, that's right, I killed the giant, look at me, it was me. Now, y'all going to pay up, because I'm going to take my money, I'm going to write a book, I'm going to sell the movie rights, I'm going to hit all the talk shows, I'm going to do all that stuff. I'm just going to live the good life now because I killed the giant. Well, David was a little bit more humble about that. As a matter of fact, he continued being Saul's harp player. But even for what he had done, it didn't turn out like he expected. As we look at 1 Samuel 18, 5 through 12, it says, Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed ten, his thousands and David his ten thousands. Mm. Well, this made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day. But Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall, but David escaped twice. Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. Wow. I did not see that coming. That's how you repay somebody that just killed the giant. You're going to chuck a spear at him. Anybody had a 
spear chucked at him? I haven't, but I mean, I can't imagine. What is Saul thinking? Well, he wasn't. He was jealous. He was jealous of what the other people were saying about David. And we know jealousy, <laughs> it can tear you apart. I mean, look what it's doing to Saul. You've got David, so loyal, so faithful. And now he's jealous of David. Think he's going to take away what he's got. And here's David. He hadn't done anything wrong. He's done everything right. And yet Saul, because of his jealousy, wants to kill David. So much so that he just... It consumes him. That's all he wants to do. That's all he thinks about is that he wants to kill David. And he begins chasing him. David's on the run. David and his men are hiding out in a cave. And this is one of those things Pastor Steve calls a godsidence where Saul just so happens to stumble into the cave to take care of his business and he winds up falling asleep. And David and his men are in there, and his men are saying, David, now's your time. Now's the time. You can go kill Saul. You can end this. You can end the torment. You can end what Saul is doing to your life. Basically, they're saying you can take matters into your own hands. But David doesn't do that. Instead, David cuts the hem of Saul's robe while he's sleeping. And then when he wakes up, he shows him. He says, look, Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. There's no reason for you to be jealous of me. I forgive you for trying to kill me. Well, Saul's taken back. You know, he, he can't imagine... David would do that. So he says he's sorry and he'll never do it again. But then that jealous rage comes back up again. And he does it again. He chases him again. And this time, David saves him again. David sneaks into his camp, steals his spear, jug of water, and then shows Saul again. Look, man, why are you doing this? I could have killed you. I don't want to kill you. I'm your servant. David had done nothing wrong. How many times in our life has something like this happened? How many times in our life has somebody hurt us when we've done nothing wrong? Did you take matters in your own hands? Did you want to? 1 Samuel 26, 23 and 24 explains why David didn't want to take matters into his own hands. He said, the Lord gives his own reward for doing good and for being loyal. And I refuse to kill you even when the Lord placed you in my power for you are the Lord's anointed one. Now may the Lord value my life even as I have valued yours today. May he rescue me from all my troubles. Even when Saul was trying to kill him, David respected the position Saul had as king, and David 
was willing to forgive Saul. David respected the position of authority that Saul had. Man, what would society be like today if people respected positions of authority? If we forgave people who hurt us? Because I'm going to tell you right now, church, people are going to hurt you. People are going to hurt your feelings. And you may not have done anything. You may not deserve it. But I can tell you it's going to happen. And when it does, you're going to be faced with the choice of, do you take matters into your own hands or do you forgive like David did? And I can tell you that, that is so hard. I had something happen to me this weekend. A family member hurt me very deeply. I was mad. I was ready to take matters into my own hands. Fortunately, my lovely wife says, aren't you preaching about forgiveness this Sunday? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I am. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. But, you know, David shows us what kind of a superhuman quality that is to be able to forgive, even when you've done nothing wrong, but to be able to forgive someone when they're trying to hurt you. You know, eventually, Saul did fall in battle in God's own timing. And following Saul's death, David was appointed king of Judah for seven years before becoming king of all Israel. In total, David would rule for 40 years as king, serving as the Lord's anointed one. He had treated the previous king with great respect and later received the role himself, being called a man after God's own heart. And, you know, that brings us to our third point. See, David was larger than life. He's a king. He killed Goliath. He'd done everything right. He was beloved. But he was also a man. And he was also born into sin, just like each and every one of us. And he messed up. Because, you know, when you get a position of authority, a position of power, that can go to your head. And you could start making decisions and doing things that abuse your power. And you can manipulate people to doing the things that you want them to do. And that's what David did. As we look at 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 5, starting verse 11, in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Now, as we get further into the scriptures, 
We know that David, of course, is king. He's over the armies. And he knows where the battles are and where the fiercest battles are happening. And Uriah is one of the soldiers. So he sends Uriah to the front lines where he knows what's going to happen. And it happens. Uriah is killed in battle. See, David went from being the chosen one, the anointed one, killing Goliath, forgiving Saul, to now messing up big time. He'd lost his way. And you know, a lot of times we lose our way. A lot of times we get so entrenched in sin, we get so covered up by it that we don't realize what's going on. Fortunately for David, he had a friend, Nathan, who was a prophet. He had somebody who was man enough to step up to the king and say, you might want to take a look at this. You might want to check this out. You know, I once heard a wise pastor say, if you mess up, fess up and go on. Pretty wise words. Because the first thing we have to do is recognize that we've sinned. The first thing we have to do is recognize we've sinned. Because how can you ask forgiveness if you don't recognize your sin? Well, Nathan helped David do that. We look at 2 Samuel 12, 13 and 14. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for this word of the Lord, by doing this, your child will die. Now we know David was deeply sorry for what he'd done. And we know David for being a warrior. We know him for playing the harp. We know him for a lot of different things. But he also wrote Psalms. And in Psalm 51, you can see him pour out his heart. You can see how sorry he was. Because, you know, we're talking about the guy who went to fight the giant because he knew the Lord was with him. He knew the Lord had his back. And now he had sinned. And he'd sinned against God. And in Psalm 51, 3 and 4, For I recognize my rebellion, it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You'll be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. You see, what makes David look superhuman is the fact that he was human. And that he was willing to ask God forgiveness for his sins. You know, he was willing to face that giant. And he was willing to forgive. But when it come right down to it, he realized he was a sinner. And he asked God to forgive him of his sins. Now see, we've seen all these people. Moses, Joshua, Deborah, Jephthah, Samuel, David. And all these people in Old Testament look superhuman with the things that they've been able to do. But in reality, they're just doing God's will. They're just willing to do God's will. 
And we look at Charles Spurgeon, Lottie Moon, Corey Ten Boom, Billy Graham, Martin Luther, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, all people, ordinary people who did extraordinary things because they were willing to do the will of God. That brings us to today, Palm Sunday. Some people think today's just the day when the Masters wraps up, but it's more than that. It's actually Palm Sunday. And what does Palm Sunday look like? Well, let's check it out in the scripture. We'll go to John 12, 12 through 19, and it explains what Palm Sunday really is. You see, the next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches, went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things may have been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. You see, Jesus was welcomed into Jerusalem like a king. And the Pharisees saw that. And they got jealous. And they started planning to get rid of Jesus. And we know throughout the week, this being Holy Week, we follow in the Bible some of the things that Jesus did. He went to the temple. And on Thursday, he had the Passover meal with his disciples where he broke bread with them and he washed their feet. And then he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And it's in this prayer that we truly understand what he was trying to do. Matthew 26, 39 says, he went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. You see, Jesus was willing to do God's will. As hard as it was, and his giant was a lot different than what we face. He was facing crucifixion. And we know this Friday is Good Friday. And this is where they nailed him to a cross. They beat his body. They nailed him to the cross. And they hung him up with other criminals. And even after all of this, even after doing this to Jesus, he was still willing to forgive. See, we look at Luke 23, verses 33 and 34. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right, one on his left. 
Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. See, Jesus forgave them. And he died on that cross. Then they put him in that tomb. And on Sunday, he rose from the grave. And that's why this Sunday we're going to celebrate Easter, because Jesus was truly superhuman. You know, the people we've been talking about, they're just people. But Jesus, Jesus is superhuman. And Jesus is the reason why we can be superhuman today. Because he died on that cross for our sins. So when we go, when we recognize our sin, and we go and we ask forgiveness of our sins, we can be forgiven. Because Jesus died on that cross. Because he was willing to do God's will. Are you willing to do God's will today? Are you willing to do what God wants you to do? Are you willing to face the giant in your life? Are you willing to forgive somebody that might be unforgivable? And are you willing to ask forgiveness of your sins? Because it's possible. You can walk out of here today and we can all be superhuman. Matter of fact, I want you to look to the person next to you and say, you're superhuman. Eli's going to come out and he's going to play a song. And this is going to be a time of invitation. This is the time for you to look at yourself and say, is there a giant that I'm facing? Are there people out there doubting me? Am I listening to those doubters? Because we know if David listened to the doubters, he wouldn't have killed the giant. Is there a giant in your life that you're trying to overcome? And then I want you to ask yourself, is there somebody out there that you need to forgive? Is there somebody out there that's hurt you deeply? Are you wanting to take matters into your own hands? Are you to that point? God's got your back. You just need to give it up to him. And then I want you to ask yourself if there's sin in your life. Sin in your life that you recognized, but you're not ready to ask forgiveness for. Jesus died on the cross so we could be forgiven of our sins. The altars are open. If you come up here on the left, it's just going to be between you and God. Y'all take care of your business. If you come over here on the right, we've got men and women who will be happy to pray with you. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you want to accept Jesus into your heart and you want to repent for your sins, I'll be right down front here ready to help you with that. Or if there's something more private, something that you really need help with, we've got a prayer room in the back and a sweet couple back there ready to pray with you. But now's the time.
MunchCon. Hey guys, thanks so much for checking us out online today. If you want more information about the church or things that's going on here, be sure to check out theriverCC.com or download our app and visit us there. Also, as we go through the Bible this year, we want to help keep you engaged on what's being read and talked about each week. To do that, we have a podcast called The Word This Week, which will recap each week's readings as well as have special guests who will talk about what God showed them that week. So be sure to check that out on all podcast streaming platforms. And again, thanks so much for checking us out online.